Hi, coaches. Happy New Year. Our first podcast of the 2023 season is with Billy Porter, who is the head men's and women's tennis coach at Southwestern University. He has seen significant success and steady improvement in both programs since his arrival in 2013, including an Elite Eight appearance for the women's team and a Sweet 16 appearance for the men's team in 2021. In this podcast, Billy discusses the differences and similarities he sees in coaching men and women and how he's had to adapt his coaching style to be most effective with both teams. We also talk about his ideas on building a successful program and then the challenges of sustaining it over time. Check out this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Billy. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the ITA College Coaches Podcast. It's great to have you on. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, no. And I think I'd like to start our conversation a little bit about coaching both men's and women's teams um, and at the same time and, and the similarities and differences that you've seen in your experience. So you started your coaching career at Dubuque and then now at Southwestern and in both schools, you've coached men and women. Um, I guess just to start off um, from all these years of experience, what do you notice that are the differences and similarities maybe be between coaching men and women? I, I think one thing that administrators don't recognize when they, you know, create a position for head tennis coach of coaching both genders, that it's, it's a completely different job. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone even goes far in saying it's a completely different game. Right. So I think that that's the first thing is, when you sign up for something, you know, you have to understand what you're signing yourself up for. And I think one thing that I've really has helped me um, just from the experience alone, but also getting older and having, you know, management experience is I'm, I'm a completely different person coaching men compared to who I am coaching women. I mean, to a point where that other teams sometimes don't even recognize me because I'm not like that with, with them. Um, I think that you have to, you can't go in and just treat the jobs. And I say that plurally as if I'm just going to do it my way. I'm the coach. It, it, I'm going to, you know, they're either going to buy into to my way or, you know, it's, they can hit the transfer portal or not play. I, I think you have to understand men and women are completely different. That's the first step. I think the second step is once you recognize um, that you have to then look yourself in the mirror and identify, okay, am I, what do I need to work on with men? And what do I need to work on with women? What do I do well with men? What do I do well with women? And then shape yourself into someone that can work with both while, and the key I think is staying true to who you are and the principles you set out for, you know, for kind of for both teams, because those should be similar, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to have, you know, different expectations on on on-court behavior for one team over the other. That should be consistent for both. Um, Now, how you handle things is a completely different, you know, topic, but I think that you have to really, really, really look in the mirror. This coaching tennis is so it's such a sport with so much ego. Um, and I hate to say that, but it is. And there's a lot of really good coaches that have a track record of success, maybe coaching juniors or adults. And when you get to college, it's, it, you're not a, a teaching pro. Manage a budget. You man, you're managing people. You're influencing young minds for the rest of their lives. And, and honestly, being out at a ball cart is maybe 25% of your job. So I think that that you have to really understand what college tennis is all about. I think you have to really understand the age group as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 18 to 22 is a really fun, exciting, and also frustrating time, I think, from someone in, in our role. And, and I think that, that that's going to play a, a huge part on, on how you shape yourself and, and how you can be effective. But I think the biggest mistake that I would say is just going in with this is how I've always done it. And this is how it's going to be and get on the train or get off the train that that's going to be a recipe for disaster. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. So if I hear you right, you're saying like your values, standards, expectations um, are the same for your men's team and your women's team, but you've had to kind of adapt maybe your coaching style a little bit uh, for some of the men versus maybe some of the women. A hundred percent. Right. So like I'll say one thing, you know, that's, that's noticeably different is women like structure. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they, they actively want your feedback. And, you know, I think one thing that I've, I've, I've kind of learned coaching women over whatever it's been now, 10, 12 years, I kind of have a 30 second rule on changeovers. I I split it up into thirds where I try my best. It doesn't always happen, but I try my best to kind of give them the first 30 to just gather their thoughts, walk off the court, get through water, sit down and breathe. The second um, 30, I want to hear from them Mm -hmm. because I think a huge mistake coaching women is just talking um, there's an emotional release that I think is important when you, um, when you coach women that they can vent or get out what they need to say. So you need to listen before you talk. Mm-hmm. Once that emotional release has come out, typically they look at you with, okay, uh, just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. And you, you kind of give it in a bullet point, very simplified, A, B, maybe C, just do this. And they usually we'll go out and do it. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think, again, kind of going back to my last point where coaching, there's so much uh, stereotype when it comes to coaching is just your knowledge of the product. I would say it's the knowledge of your people. Mm. And if you understand who you're working with, you're going to be more effective by catering to what they need And even if it's less of you talking and less of your knowledge, your actual knowledge is knowing how to get the most out of them in a 90 second window. Um, Men, they, sometimes you just got to get on them a little bit more. You don't have to really have that, that defined 30 seconds. Um, You can talk to guys more. You can just uh, tell them what to do more. um, And you can have a little bit more of a back and forth. I don't really have with women. It's not a back and forth conversation. It's you talk. And then I talk with guys. It's more, let's talk through this together. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully you go out and do it where with girls typically or women typically when I send them out there, I have a lot more confidence knowing that they're going to go out and do what I have asked them to do. Yeah. Um, so that's a noticeable, um, you know, trait. I, I feel like be, between coaching men and women, I think the other one, and this is really is everything is I should have probably put this before the last one is, you know, Coaching, especially as a male coaching women, and I don't, I can't talk about what it's like being a female coaching women. I can only elaborate on as a male coaching woman, but I think the one word that comes into mind and it's the only word is trust. Yeah. And that's earned. It's not given. Um, you can be the greatest tennis coach in the world and know everything you know about the game of tennis, but if they don't trust you or, or they don't, you don't have that connection or some sort of connection to them. hmm you're only going to get about six, you know, two thirds of your capacity of your knowledge through to them because they're going to tune you out. Yeah. Right. So when you look at the breakdown of my job, you know, for years I've dealt with the backlash from the men's team. Oh, you favor the women's team over the men's team. And it's, it's not true. Um, it just requires more of my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, our women have been better. So it's easy to kind of pinpoint, Oh, they're better. You want to do more better team our guys are not, you know, have not been far behind us. So it's not like we have like one dominant team and one, you know, good team. They're both very good, mm-hmm. but for me to be successful, they just require, and the women require more time. And a lot of that goes into why we are successful because when you recognize what it takes, you can get more out of those individuals when it comes into that team setting. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that resonates with me. I I worked for a long time for an athletic director who his favorite quote, and it's just stuck with me until today is, 
people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that's pretty much what you're saying. And, and so what are some of the ways that you went about or have gone about and still do go about building that trust with your women and your men too, but it sounds like maybe it's a little more time intensive with the women. Are there any strategies that you could recommend to coaches that have worked well for you? Yeah. I mean, I think I take, a very different approach in, in recruiting than a lot of, you know, other coaches. And by no means am I saying that my way is better than, than anyone else's way. It's just, it's worked for us. Um, you know, we are very, very thorough in our vetting process of how, of who we bring into our locker room and more importantly, who we keep out of our locker room because mm-hmm. all it takes is, is you can have 10 great players. And if, it's, if you bring in one bad one, the other 10 are spoiled um, and not the good, you know, so that that's the key. I think one thing that when I get on recruiting calls at the end of it, one of my questions is, you know, you know, you took the call for a reason. Did it go exactly the way you thought it was going to go? Was it different? What's kind of your knee jerk reaction? Like, yeah, this was so much more of a structured call. Uh, most coaches just kind of get on there and, tell me about their school and tell me about, well, ask me about my game and what questions do I have? And you've had a, a very thorough plan and actually cared about me and well beyond tennis. Um, so I think that we stand out a little bit differently um, from the first glance when they get to see us. Um, and then we put a huge emphasis on D3 um, as competitive as the top of D3 tennis is it's still division three. I mean, I've been coaching college tennis for, I don't even know, like I said, 12, 13 years. I've never had one player even close to go pro in tennis, nor, nor do I ever plan to. So if you understand what D3 is and you buy into it, it's going to come through a lot more naturally when you are working with kids that genuinely want D3. And we turn away D1 girls and guys all the time um, because Southwestern and like most D3s is not going to give them the holistic experience that they're desperately seeking. If it's eight hours on the tenant, you know, six to eight hours on the court a day. So I think we set expectations from the first phone call right away. I think one thing that I talk about a lot with my players, especially with my women is two things. Number one, I value my success with you off of two things, not a championship ring, not how many wins. Like we're going to win a bunch and we've proven that. Like I don't need you to, you know, to walk away as an alum saying, Oh, I won 120, you know, whatever it is matches. Did you use me on your first job application as a reference? Yes or no. And if you didn't, I failed you. Right. Because, you know, if, if you, I would want, Someone I work with that closely to be a reference for me in the next in the next big you know step of my life, and because we invest so much into our players, um, that's a huge telling sign of how they truly feel about you when it comes completely away from tennis. It has a lot to do with who you are as a person and how they value you well beyond just your X and O's knowledge on the tennis sports. Mm-hmm. So I think that when you spend that much time and you're telling them like, this is how I'm going to evaluate myself. They understand that you're deeply invested into them as human beings, well beyond the, what can you do for me in four years here concept where I think a lot of coaches go wrong. So again, I don't know if for those listening that are D ones and D two coaches, if that applies, I think maybe not as much to the D three model as, as maybe you'd like, but I think there's always room for improvement well beyond the wins and losses. And fortunately at that high level, you guys get judged so much on wins and losses, but what people don't understand, I think, especially working in corporate for five years is that the more you are about your people, the more the wins will come beyond your knowledge of the product. Right. So I don't know if that's the answer you were kind of looking for, but I, that, I mean, we go really, really deep into our relationship building um, on how we get the most of, of, of our, of our people in the four years here. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what I was, what I was wondering. And so that's, that's great. I, I wonder for all of our coaches out there at all divisions, really that coach both the men's and women's teams, um, at their school, which is a large number. Um, you know, do you integrate both, both 
programs together in any way, like whether that's in practice or strength and conditioning, team bonding, like, do you do any of that or are they pretty much separate? Yeah, you actually got me at a really good time on, on this topic. Um, so when I first took the job, you know, my interview was, the expectation from the interview was, can you just please make the program better? Right. And, you know, the way I looked at it was, was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's not hard. Um, it can only go in one direction. So when I got here, we were respectfully not very good. I didn't move my wife out of her hometown of Chicago to move to a state she's never even visited to just make the program better. I mean, we had a great life in Chicago and my interview was, was, was one thing and one thing only. It was beat Trinity. That's what the interview was. And, um, you know, when I, when I, accepted the job and I looked into it, I kind of looked at, okay, like, what am I going up against here? And they have five full-time coaches on staff, which is, I think the most in all of D3 tennis. Um, you know, they have a head men's head women's, they have a full-time assistant on each side and they have a legendary, you know, director of tennis, Butch Newman, who, you know, his name carries a lot of weight. Right. So, um, I, I always kind of modeled myself of, okay, what are they doing? Cause I know when I first got here, Trinity was going to NCAAs every year, their men would get shipped to Minnesota, their women would go to California. So I, I looked at this model of, okay, we have to, if we're going to compete with them, we really have to slice it up down the middle and it's men only and women only because that's how they're operating, right? Like we can't, we have to be singing the same tune to some of their recruits. If we're going to go up against them, we're going to recruit against them. Even though it, it wasn't a true split because there was only one of me. And like I said, about four of them, I mean, I don't think Butch does too much on court stuff, but still the point being is that their resources were completely different. And I took a line with our captains when I first started, I said, we cannot create a dependency of the other gender to, uh, create an atmosphere during dual matches because if we both make NCAAs and one of us gets shipped to Minnesota and the other to California, we're, we're, we're not in a position where we have the knowledge when it matters the most to support our teammates and create an environment for ourselves. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And we had a huge divide, you know, with my first recruiting class kind of on with, the other team was kind of frowned upon, but it, there really was a, a true division among the, it's not like they didn't get along, but they did not want to collaborate. Kind of like you're, like you're saying. We, we had an assistant coach um, from 2018 to 2021 who actually played at Trinity. And she, you know, started this whole movement and process with me where she really felt like she felt that division. Right. And one of, one of the reasons we hired her was she hasn't, I mean, when, when she played at Trinity back in the day, that's when they were in their glory day. I mean, top five, both sides. Why would I not want someone that had, you know, the, the inner workings of a program like that. And she kept saying, got to get these teams together. Um, you know, Butch had both of us or, you know, for a while, I think Butch had both. I don't exactly, but regardless, her whole thing was this could be a lot better than what it is. And we sat our current captains down at the time or at the time, the current captains. And we talked about this and they both agreed both sides of, you know, of, of, uh, of each team. And it, it started to get better and it got better and it's gotten a lot better since I just had a phone call on Tuesday with Mike Freed from Wesleyan who was probably one of my closest friends in, in D3 tennis. And our guys are scheduled to play them again in Orlando for spring break. And he's been fighting me on getting my women down to Orlando to play them as well. And playing at the same time. And I'm like, um, like dude, I don't want to take our teams down. Like we don't travel together. It's, it's a recipe for disaster. It's just, it's not who we are. And he's like, let me tell you something, bud. I so said, I've learned this being one of the only few coaches in the NESCAC that coaches one. That is the greatest week of our player season. They look forward to that trip more than NCAAs. Um, and that trip of going to Florida together, staying, even if it's two separate homes, cheering each other on, just being on an island together, 
that's where we can sell our differences between the other powerhouses in the NESCAC because those schools are so independent and, and, and have their own thing that they can't share that unity with the other team. You know, and, and what he said is like, why do kids love playing college tennis? He said they love playing on a team. And he said, we, you and I both, as many disadvantages as we have having to coach both, this is an advantage we have where we actually control the narrative to bring these two teams together and not have to work with another coach to make that happen. I'm not going to go on record saying that I've committed to going to Florida. Like he hasn't moved me that far yet, but my, my train of thought has completely shifted um, since that. I mean, not that, like I said, you know, our, our assistant coach a couple years ago, she started it. She's moved me along the way. And now I'm, I'm starting to kind of see the other side of the, the equation here. Um, I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but that's kind of where, where we're trending. So we don't practice together. We do share a locker room together. Now it's not a locker room, it's a team room where they can leave their bags and their sweatshirt. They don't change in there, but we practice at separate times. So it's, there's not this huge, you know, crossover, but I think that a lot of the other thing I'll say is that we had a, a captain on the men's side back in 2018 that started something called wine Wednesday. And originally it was going to be a men's thing. And then it kind of grew into this massive tennis team thing where both teams came together and it really became like a weekly thing. Um, not of course you didn't have to part, partake in the name of the title, but there was still um, a platform for all of them to come together that they all enjoyed. And I think that really helped slingshot them coming together more than being divided. Yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome. So from a logistical standpoint, um, I mean, you're fortunate you do have an assistant coach and I believe you also have a volunteer coach. Um, you know, lots of our coaches that coach both programs don't have an assistant, but just logistically, I mean, it's a lot of work, right? When I speak to coaches that coach both teams, I mean, there's, as you mentioned earlier, there's so much more to the job than just forehands and backhands, right? There's all the off court and recruiting and so on. So how have you managed to sort of divide up the responsibilities with you and your assistant and your volunteer and what would be, you know, tips or suggestions you might have for, for those coaches that don't have the, the extra help that you have. I mean, are there creative ways to get volunteer help, you know, whether it's a student worker or like you have a volunteer coach, I mean, any suggestions on that? Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of goes back to, what I said earlier, <clears throat> you have to understand when you signed your contract, what you signed up for, right? I think that's the first step is understanding, okay, I signed on the dotted line. This is what the job entails. And obviously it's easier said than until you get there and you realize, man, I'm getting home at eight o'clock every night. I've got a wife, I've got a kid, you know, now I have three. Um, so but I think perspective is key. We moved the needle, you know, well enough with our progress that we kind of got to a point back in 2016 where I just said, you know, we, we've got to do more. I, I think the administration kind of realized that they got more than what they bargained for, which is great. I mean, and they played a big part in that. I mean, they, they supported us to get to what we needed to do. And then they realized, okay, like this, this, this tennis has been consistently good and we're going to look, you know, we're going to break this guy if we um, don't get him some help. I think how you work with your administrator is again, another part of the job that a tennis protest doesn't have to deal with nearly as much. And so I think that relationship with your, with your boss is, is very important um, and making them understand what you're going through. You know, I think one thing that I was very big on, and this is goes across for all divisions, but like I, I said, our women, men's and women's basketball has adequate staffing to everyone else in the country and in, you know, the conference. I mean, you have a head, you have a head coach and an assistant coach on both genders. Soccer is kind of the same way. So like there, are, there is no, everything is equal. Now who you hire is a completely different story, right? the challenge with tennis was, is that we, it wasn't equal, right? Like you, it's one of those unique sports where you have one that coaches both. You have some that have assistants, some that don't. So we got this position proved to be a part-time position. 
Um, and we ended up hiring a guy that played top 500 in the world ATP. And both teams loved him. And then him and his wife ended up starting a business. And he just he had to you know tend to that, and which is completely understandable. And then we ended up hiring the other individual that that we um, that applied for the job when we opened it up back in 2017. And you know, I think for us, so it's not really a period of a tip, but just being in Austin, I mean, a lot of tennis here. So there's a lot of people that you know, have a background and, and everyone's situation is a little bit different and their, I think their motive is a little bit different. So I think our last two assistant coaches um, that we've had, the one from 2018 to, to 2021 and then the current one, they had had successful careers. And I think for them, it was just an opportunity to kind of give back, um, you know, it's D3 tennis and, you know, they, they had a flexible schedules and, they like being around, you know, college kids. And I think they enjoyed being in our culture and, and, and being part of something that was growing. Uh, I think that's really, really cool about the opportunity here is that nine years ago, we were non-existent. And, you know, when, when you can see momentum, it, it's really cool to hop on that train. And I think that, that that's been, uh, you know, a lucrative part of how we able to attract talent. Um, I think the other one, which people maybe don't think about as much, and this is really important, is reputation. So when I, we, we, had a, we went through a really tough, tough situation at the end of 2021. We, we from an administration, made a, a coaching change um, for, to our assistant coaching position, right? That was something that was, that came from above me. It was something that I understood. I was not, you know, as adamant about um, as my oversight, but it really was out of my hands. Like, it, so my hands were tied and I kind of learned this lesson through the hiring process of the next individual because we got the pool and some of them kind of just were like, why are you applying? Some of these, you know, like, wow, we're very fortunate. So I got a local you know, individual on the phone and, and we talked. And one of the things I asked, like, how and why did you come across this job? She said, I've been in Austin for you know, however long, and I've heard nothing but wonderful things about you and your program. And good news travels slower than, than, you know, than bad news. And if you can do what you've done and however long, and, and everyone I talk to speaks that highly of you and your program, I, I certainly want to be part of something like that. So I, I think how you handle yourself, you know, as an individual with other coaches, just academy coaches, junior coaches, like whoever it may be in the tennis world, it is a, a lot smaller world than people realize. Um, I think it can really help you because, you know, people will give their time for, for less pay if they enjoy working for you and, and, and the cause of the job. And that's how we were so fortunate to get the current system that we have um, was simply based off of uh, reputation. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I mean, it says a lot about, about you and, and the work you've put in and that's great. I mean, and so speaking of the results of your team, I mean, since taking over Southwestern, in 2013, you've just seen steady improvement in both teams. And I think 2021 was the first year that both of your teams made the NCAA tournament. So when you look back on that progress over the last nine years, can you point to um, keys that have helped you turn the pro both programs around? Were there any turning points or, um, you know, what, what was your focus and how do you, how do you think you've been able to make that those jumps? I mean, I think the first one, and it, it might be cliche, but it's so true. It starts at home. You know, I have a, an incredible wife that understand. I mean, she played, so my wife played pretty high level D3 soccer in college on time civil days all four years live the 6am swim workouts and, you know, the sprints on Saturday morning, like, mm -hmm. 
she gets it. I mean, and one thing, you know, we were dating was I want to be, you know, with a winner that that's how she's wired. Um, she's, mm-hmm. you know, I always say she might be more, even more competitive than I am and my livelihood depends on, you know, um, competition. So I think there is, is a huge starting point for me. There's never been one question of why are you getting home so late? Do you seriously have to go recruiting, you know, to wherever you're going? It's yep. Cause if she understands that if, if, if her husband is is happy and, and, and things are going the way they need to, then the whole life is going to be happiness. She doesn't need to add that, that extra tension um, to the job from, from home. So I think I'm very grateful for, I think, I don't think I am. I know I'm very grateful for, for, for her supports. So let's start where it allows me to be in a place to do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the number one thing that, you know, I've taken with this job is you've got to be fearless. And that's such an easy thing to say, but to do is a whole nother story. Like I said, when I interviewed for the job, I didn't want to make the program better. I wanted to be Trinity. You know, my whole motivation for this job and not whole, but a, a lot of the motivation for my, for this job is this, what I'm, the reason I'm saying this is, again, identify your, your why. That's something I learned in corporate um, from one of my bosses. Identify your why are you here. And something that really motivates me is doing being successful at a program where it's never been done before and people have repeatedly told me it cannot be done. Mm-hmm. Right? I could go apply for WashU, I could apply for Middlebury, all these, you know, do it again jobs, basically where the expectation is top 10 and you're just another guy or just another girl. That doesn't really do it for me, right? I I really take a lot of pride in in raising the bar, um, which was one of the the slogans in our, my corporate setting. Um, So I think that you have to start off there. So the fearlessness is, you, you understand you're going against a, a program with a 75-year head start on you. That's basically what I, you know, Trinity Tennis has been dominant from their D1 days back in the pack when, when they played against Stanford, UCLA. You go to the facility and there's, you know, Wimbledon champions and all of that. That's pretty eye-opening when you take a job and you see the level, you know, where we were nine years ago. I think the ability to let them know, you know, the way you handle yourself in coaches meetings and all of that, that, yeah, like I'm here to, to beat you. Um, and there's stuff behind the scenes that we don't cave to some of the demands, maybe that some elite programs that goes with uh, other programs, of course, as well, we're just going to stand our ground. Um, I think the real key turning point to our conference championship, if that's kind of what you're, you know, alluding to from 2021, we had been in the, the, the championship match against Trinity, I think four or five consecutive years. And it kind of got close um, in the middle there. And then we had a little bit of a gap again. And I looked myself in the mirror and I said, okay, Billy, what are you going to do differently this year than you've done in the past? Right. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over expecting different results. And we had a really, really good team in 2021. So did they. I mean, let's be fair. So I brought the girls in exactly one month before the conference final match was scheduled, which was on May 2nd. So on April 2nd, I brought the team in and I said, okay, here's the deal. I said, every spot is wide open. We are starting the season over brand new. And if you think that you're the first one that's going to be out of the equation, you're probably going to find yourself in. And I said, if you think that you're safe, you're probably going to be the first one out. And the next month will determine exactly, you know, that. So they all, there was about eight in the mix. And some of them, of course, are going to hear that more than others. And I remember we, ended up start making our first moves for the first, for the end of the season Trinity match was on April 17th. 
and we'd never beaten them in program history. And I brought some girls in and uh, I broke some news to them. And those were girls that had started for us all year. Um, and one of those girls was a recruit that went to Hardcourt Nationals as a junior, as a junior out of the state of Georgia. I mean, she was good. And I had my reasons why, and I explained to her very thoroughly why. So it wasn't just your bench. It's this is why your bench. She still played doubles. The big one was, and again, this goes back to the fearlessness. I benched our best player, arguably pound for pound, best singles player in doubles. This is a player that was an All-American in singles. It was a player that works harder than anyone on the entire team. But it was an individual that went through three or four partners that year. And I needed to do something to get her attention that the road that she was going down was just not the right one to get us to where we wanted to go. So benching an All-American and benching a girl that qualified for Hardcourt Nationals, that takes, that takes a backbone. And that's, that's the fearlessness, right? So we went down to the match. And the girl that we sat in doubles, that's an All-American, went out and won her singles match. Oh, no. <laughs> it was pretty upset, right, that she got benched. And then we made moves for the conflict tournament two weeks later, and she got back into the doubles lineup. And who do you think scored the huge doubles points over a team that was three-time All-Americans for us? It was her. Because those next two weeks when she sat in my office was, what can I do to get back in the lineup? Please tell me. I'll just do it where we've been trying to tell her what to do all along. And she wasn't doing it to the fully, full capacity. And now she was. They got that huge double point. So we went down the regular season 1-2. And then in the championship match, we went up 2-1. So that was a huge point because we ended up winning 5-4. So the swing match required her point against an opponent that had been driving us crazy for four years. So that, again, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, I think with, with the guys, you know, we beat Trinity back in 2018. And that was monumental because that was a year that we were down. And I mean, to be fair, so were they, but they were still better than us. And I just think that the way that we, you know, approached our guys and let them know that anything can happen. It was a windy day. That was, I mean, frankly, it was the only reason we beat them. It was pretty and we just took advantage. It was a mentality of if we're ever going to do it, today is the day we're going to do it because we have the one thing that equalizes talent, which is wind. And we never backed down to them and we never have looked back since. So I think that fearless, I know it's a long answer, but the fearlessness is the absolute key to success for us um, of making tough moves and uh, being able to, uh, to see the result of it. I think gives you motivation to continue to do even more. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like your story with your, the two women's players also just demonstrates. Um, I mean, you had to know those players pretty well, I would imagine, because that could have really backfired. And so I feel like you back to your earlier answer of like building the trust in those relationships, you obviously knew, or you probably had a pretty good idea that, that they would respond the way that they did. Um, in addition to, to being fearless and making the calls. So yeah, that's, that's. Well, then you like, but fast forward to, to this year. Right. So that happened when they were sophomores, mm. the girl that we benched in doubles ended up making the ITA regional final in doubles. Right. So her doubles got only that much better. She spent most of her summer working on doubles because that feeling of getting benched bothered mm -hmm. her so much. Right. The individual we benched in singles ended up becoming the number two player for us this year and included a clinch over the number four team in the country on the road. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it's easy with, especially when adversity hits, I hate to say that this generation does not handle it as well, I think is maybe our generation. Um, but that goes back to, again, recruiting. Who are you bringing in? Who are you bringing out? Who are you as a team culture? and keeping your mouth shut, working hard, and then being rewarded for exactly that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about your involvement in the ITA. 
So you've been a head coach now for you know over a decade and you've served in a number of different roles. So you're on the division three operating committee, you've served on the rankings and awards committee. Why do you think that coach service is important to the ITA and to college tennis? And why do you think coaches should get, get involved like you have? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons why, you know, I think number one, knowledge of product is key. You understand things much better when you're at the table than hearing it from someone else. Um, I think you're invested into your job, you know, a little bit more if you're spending more time doing something that is not required of you. Okay. I think the other one, and this has kind of been the theme of this whole podcast, I think, is relationships. Um, I've been fortunate to be part of multiple committees. Um, I think the one that, you know, stands out the most is, is OpsCon. Um, I mentioned earlier, you have to learn how to stand up to some of the best programs in the country. We're better than the operating committee room, yeah. right? We just had a, a scoring format back and forth for years on, on OpsCon. We, you know, voted for this pilot thing. Who do you think the one person was that was uh, voting against it? That was me. Uh, now, I, it wasn't technically I had to leave, but I texted Justin like, hey, I vote against this. But point being is I, you get into a room with Zoom and there's 11 people feeling one way and you're the other way. That's a skill set. Just even for your like, I hate to say selfishly, but yes, like selfishly, that's an opportunity for, for me to grow going against some of the, the most prominent people in your that you have the utmost respect for, right? Um, one thing that, and I'll use Paul Settles as an example. I call Paul Settles maybe once a month during our season and ask him for advice on certain situations. How would you handle this if this was your team? Me and Paul Settles have had our, our fair share of back and forth on the operating committee you know, floor on D3 tennis items that we are not seeing eye to eye on. But when you learn how to communicate with people effectively, when you have conflict or disagree, um, that is only that only makes you better at your job because coaching college tennis is exactly that, right? So instead of being the one in power over your players, you're doing it as an equal to others. So you have to kind of learn how to adapt your ways. But I've, I've gotten to know people so well from spending hours and hours and hours on end with them. You know, I'll use um, Trinity's men's coach, you know, again, we've had our back and forth battles with them. I mean, of course it's a rivalry, but man, even, even though I'm the chair of the committee, he's taught me things and how to look at things from a rankings perspective because he put so much time and effort into it. Um, and, and there's respect, there's mutual respect there just because of that, if I need to turn to someone on a ranking matter, he's my first go-to guy because I know, you know, he's prepared, but more importantly, maybe he can teach me something as well. Uh, and then I can teach that to somebody else so that when I roll over that that position is in, is in a really good spot because my full education of this product, you know, I've, I've maximized that to, to its fullest. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and backing up a little bit, how did you get started um volunteering on these committees um because that's a question i get a lot is like well how do i get involved and to the newer coaches in the profession that might be interested in this you know every everyone's busy i mean you have three kids two newborns and a, and a young child and obviously a, a wife and and a full-time job i mean what what would you say to that coach that's looking to get involved there's time um, I know it doesn't seem like there always is, but I think, again, that's what makes you really good at your job is like anything else in life. What are your time management skills? Um, how did I get involved? I'll never, I, like, I'll never forget the phone call. It came from Chris Bezot at UT Tyler back when they were D3. I was driving from Austin up I-35 to campus and I got this call and I was like, okay, I'll take it. And he and his words were, hey, you seem like you're uh, 
really into this. You're doing a good job. We're looking for people that are hungry, you know, and, and, and fresh faces like you. Um, would you want to serve? And I think back then it was the RAC for NCAA. And then, you know, we kind of cross over with the ITA stuff. I was like, of course, I'm flattered. Thank you. And that's language that Todd, you know, Todd at Case is a national chair uh, of the ranking committee, which I'm on. And that's language that we used last summer when we were looking to make a, 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 a I hate to say a new hire, but not a replacement, but because somebody rolled over in one of the other regions. But that language that Chris used back in, I don't know, 2015 is still language we're using today. And the person that we, you know, we found, which is Felix Mann at Swanee, is exactly the same definition of that. So, you know, I think you just have to, to really want it. I think coaches, you know, I'll, I hate to go down this road, but like I had to, I had to proxy an NCAA call for a different region last, last summer. And I got on there and it was just completely unprepared, you know, compared to how it was in, the, in my region in the West. And it was just like, I walked, I, I called Mark Riley, who's the chair of the NCAA. And I was like, I don't know if these people even want to be on this thing. Um, like my guys had a Google, you know, spreadsheet, a doc. And I don't know. I just think that the more we can teach people to be invested into the game, not just their product, the better it's going to make the experience, not only for, for their players, but for, for all of D3 tennis or just all of college tennis in general. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to wrap up here. I got a few rapid fire questions for you, a little get to know you. So we're going to start with what's your favorite book? I am from Miami, Florida. Uh I am a huge Miami Hurricanes fan. Bruce Feldman wrote a book about 15 years ago called Kane Mutiny, which was kind of a story of Miami Hurricanes dynasty back in the 80s, growing Mm -hmm. through the early 2000s. Um, and a little bit of how I run my program here has a little bit of that to it, that fearlessness of anyone, anywhere, anytime is kind of, you know, what I take away from that. Um, so I'd have to say Kim Mutiny by, uh, Bruce Feldman. Okay. What about favorite band or song? Oof. Um, I don't have a favorite band. I, there's no way I'm going to be able to answer, um, <laughs> I, I do like all types of music. Um, if I had to pick out an artist, and this goes back, yeah, Mace was a rapper. Yeah, um, <laughs> when I was uh, growing up, that I really liked. I thought he was you know, talented. Um, but at, you know, I listened to a, a bunch of different types of rap, different types of music. Okay. Um, I do, you know, before big matches, I typically will have slower music, EDM kind of, but like a slower, like not, not no word type music in my AirPods before big matches. Okay. Favorite food. Um, kind of sticking with my heritage of being from Miami. I don't know if it's not necessarily a food, but one thing when you coach two teams at a high level with three kids and a wife at home, uh, Cuban coffee um, <laughs> is something that uh, my body consumes maybe too much of. But uh, there's nothing like a good, uh, you know, cafecito or cortadito to, mm. to get you through the day. All right. Nadal or Federer? I actually like both. Um, I do not like Djokovic. So okay. <laughs> um, I, he's not in the equation. I, I mean, he's fascinating to watch. There's something about the other two I think that I, that I like more. Um, I mean, it's hard to go against Federer just the way he is, but. It's also, I mean, Nadal is much watched TV as well. And I think they both handle themselves in a way that kids can look up to. So uh, I'm going to go both, um, <laughs> but I don't know if that's what you're looking for. But yeah, yeah that's I, a tough I, I, I enjoy both. Okay. Best place you've either coached or played a college match? We actually posted this yesterday on our Instagram story for our throwback Thursday. So I'm, I'm going to give two. I think. Back in 2018, we went to Colorado Springs for our conference tournament. And of course, the nightmare that the conference had came to fruition, which was snow in late April. Um, So we couldn't play at Colorado College, but we had the honor and privilege of playing at the Air Force Academy, Mm -hmm. which was uh, really eye-opening and really cool. I grew up in a military base over in Europe, um, 
you know, during my childhood from, you know, eight to 18 years old. So kind of getting back to that atmosphere in army versus air force, but uh, I'll, I'll put that aside, but just going back kind of into that setting and seeing kind of where it all starts. Mm-hmm. Um, what was a really, really, really cool experience. Yeah. Beautiful place. All right. Last but not least, if you weren't a coach, you would be a. Well, I'll get to that. The other one I was going to say was back in 2018 as well. Our women got to play Williams College, who were the defending national champions at the time at USC. Oh, nice. So Allison Swain um, and I agreed to a match in the parking lot at NCAAs in Chattanooga. And then a week later on Twitter, I see she's announced as the USC women's coach. And I said, well, wait, are we still on? She's like, let's make it better. Why don't you, why don't you bring my old team to my new team and, you know, make it a a cool event at USC. And we, not only did they allow us to play there, it was a beautiful day. We actually had alumni chapters from both schools there that provided lunch. And then, you know, the coaches, together and we did like a a team bonding thing between the two teams afterwards so that was just a very memorable um experience um you know i think that uh we obviously didn't win that match since they were very very good but i think that that's a memory that we'll never forget nice um your last question i think was what would i be if i wasn't coaching yeah I, i don't know um you know, if you look at my resume, you see there's a five-year gap. Um, I did work in corporate. Um, it was still in college athletics, which was cool. I got to kind of grow in different parts of the business. Um, I think one thing I've, I've taken away from, from coaching college is just how much I enjoy watching the kids grow and develop as, as individuals. Um, so I'd have to say maybe consulting um, just because I feel like helping others is something that drives me well beyond winning. I mean, obviously winning is a huge part, but I think the satisfaction of seeing like the relationships I have with my alumni now are so meaningful. We're shooting a, our sixth episode of something we, we shot back two years ago in Copenhagen called um, Women Empowering Women. Mm. It's a series of topics that alumni and current players have hopped on and we have, you know, four or five alums that are like, of course I'll hop back on. And, and the theme is from college tennis to the real world. Mm-hmm. And now seeing them at 27 years old, some of them married in real world, you know, all that kind of stuff. That just fascinates me on what they learned here and how they're applying it to their, to their real world experience today in real life. There's no, there's nothing more that makes me proud in seeing alumni that are successful. And so I think, I know that's a long answer, but just that is such a gratifying part to my job that kind of connects this whole podcast into people, people, people um, over product, product, product. So yeah, I'd have to say consultant. That's great. Yeah, no, I think um, clearly you are a great relationship builder, which is definitely led to your success as a coach as well. So I think that's just a great lesson for all of our coaches listening and really want to thank you, Billy, for sharing all your insight and taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks for having me.